Evidence and Answers. We love to hear about romantic encounters, don't we? The ones with the fairy tale endings, the prince meets the princess, and so forth. Well, today, let's learn about finding that right person. But it's more like eHarmony, Old Testament style. You'll find a beautiful story of love, devotion, and commitment right there in the book of Ruth. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's Pat with part one in the book of Ruth. So turn with me, if you will, to the Old Testament book of Ruth. The Old Testament book of Ruth. We're going to learn some important principles today. And for you singles, if you learn these principles well, you'll be successful in your dating life as I am. (laughs) Now, as we see all the singles rushing out the door, let's get to the book of Ruth. Well, many think that Ruth is a romance story, but behind it is a very profound and very powerful lesson. It's one of the books that spoke you know, at a critical time in my life in a very meaningful and powerful way. The story begins with a very dark beginning here. In verse 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. This story tells us that the story takes place in the time of the judges. So somewhere around 1200 to 1000 BC is when this story takes place. And this was a dark time in the life of Israel. This is a time of social and religious chaos. It's a time marked by violent invasions, apostate religion, unchecked lawlessness, and often times of civil war. So it's in this dark time and in this background that our story takes place. Now, verse 1 also says, There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, famine, this kind of disaster, oftentimes was a sign of judgment from God. According to Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 30, when the people disobeyed the Lord, often natural disasters befell upon them. And it says here, the name of the man was Elimelech, means God is my king, and his wife Naomi means to be pleasant in a desperate act, left Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, to go to the foreign country of Moab, a country with a bad history with Israel. They had often been warring against one another. And in a desperate act, they go there to Moab to survive what's going on there in their land, to survive the famine. And tragedy suddenly strikes when Elimelech dies. And the heartache of Naomi is increased when her two sons, Malon and Kilion, suddenly die as well. Leaving behind their two widows, Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah means stubbornness, and Ruth means friendship, leaving the two widows behind. And Naomi's future hopes are robbed, realizing she has no children and no grandchildren to carry on the family name. And here in these Eastern cultures, this is the greatest tragedy when a family line comes to an end. And the text underscores the cruel tragedy stating, instead of Naomi, says, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. 
So Naomi has lost her identity for now she is simply called the woman. Right? She has suffered total loss, even her identity. Being simply called the woman. When guys do a good job, I often say, you're the man. When women do a good job, I say, you're the woman. I guess you shouldn't be saying that anymore, huh? Yes. Say something else. All right. Well, anyway, she has completely lost her identity, and she's simply called the woman. So we find Naomi driven from her homeland by famine, robbed by death of her loved ones. She finds herself all alone in a foreign land. And in verse 6, we read that Naomi hears the Lord has visited his people and given them food. And so Naomi decides to return to her homeland of Judah. And her two stepdaughters want to go with her. They had been together for about 10 years now in the land of Moab. But she urges them to leave, return home, and make a new life for yourself. There's only loneliness and hopelessness if you come with me. That's all you have to look forward to. And so there's three exchanges that go on here. Naomi urges her daughters to go home. And she follows it with this common formula. She says, may Yahweh treat you kindly. The Hebrew there is, may Yahweh treat you with hesed. The Greek equivalent is agape, everlasting faithful love. May Yahweh be faithful to you. This is not a simple farewell, God bless you. This is a farewell given in situations where the parties are separating under very tough circumstances. And Naomi's prayer is more than a casual goodbye. This is a farewell formula that was saying, women, you are free from all future responsibility of me. I set you free. And Naomi reveals her hopelessness and her inability to repay their kindness. The only thing she can say is, may God be faithful and may you know his everlasting love. And she kisses her daughters-in-law goodbye to seal their separation there in verse 9. The 10 years they have been together, now they will be separated. And most likely, they'll never see each other again. But her daughters-in-laws insist on staying with her. And Naomi gives them an even more persuasive argument to her. And she said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night... And should bear sons. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. So Naomi gives them an even more persuasive argument and explains the hopelessness of her situation. She says, look, even if I were to marry and conceive a son tonight, would you wait all these years for them to be eligible for marriage? She's saying the only thing you have to look forward to, ladies, is a life of loneliness in a foreign land, living as widows for the rest of your life. That's all you got, right? And she climaxes it with that statement. Yahweh's own hand has turned and attacked me. Naomi's final point was to show that her personal disaster came from God himself. So what stronger case could Naomi make for her daughters to go and return home? And at the third exchange, 
Orpah decides to leave. And we don't blame her. She does the logical thing. Under the circumstances, she decides to depart and go home. However, Ruth clings to Naomi, showing her deep love and loyalty and affection to her. And Naomi says, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death departs me from you. That perhaps next to the words of Jesus is perhaps one of the greatest statements of love and faith you're going to find in the entire Bible. Orpah here does the sensible thing. Looking at the circumstances and the future of apparent hopelessness, she returns back to her people. But Ruth did the extraordinary and the unexpected thing. Sacrificing her destiny, she clings to her aged mother-in-law in the face of a future of apparent hopelessness and loneliness, living the rest of her life as a widow in a foreign land. She chooses to stay, go home with Naomi and care for Naomi. We can understand Orpah's decision here, but Ruth is the one we want to emulate. What a contrast that Ruth would choose to worship and follow the God of Israel whom she has come to believe in while Naomi seems to have lost her faith here. Ruth chose loyal love to Naomi and the possibility of a hopeless future in a land where she knew no one facing prejudice and animosity from the wars that have gone on between Moab and Israel. So Ruth's choice foreshadows the call of Jesus when he said, If any man wish to follow me, let him die to himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Ruth's choice here, we can see her tremendous love and courage in her statement. She says here, Where you die, I will die. May the Lord do to me. So, and more also, if anything but death separates me, from you. You might expect that Ruth would be with Naomi and then when Naomi died, she would return home. But she doesn't. She says, where you die, I'm going to stay there for the rest of my life and I'll be buried right next to you. That's a tremendous display of courage and of love as well. Ruth was committing now to spend the rest of her life in a new and foreign homeland. And she says, may the Lord do to me more so. In the Hebrew, she says, may Yahweh do me more so. Yahweh, the personal name of the true God of creation, the God of Israel. From this we know Ruth has come to faith in the true God of Israel. Because she calls on the personal name of God, Yahweh. In Middle Eastern times, you could not swear a higher oath than to the God you worship. And Ruth had now come to worship the God of Israel, come to faith in the God of Israel. And that's why she uses his personal name here when she swears this oath to Naomi. So Ruth chooses to give up her family, her people, 
her culture to follow Naomi and the God of Israel. A courageous, tremendous act of love and loyalty here. And the lesson we learn is that understanding God's providence and his care, which is always at work, gives us the ability to courageously obey God, even in difficult circumstances. You know, I have a good friend, Suzanne Maurer. She, at 18 years old, went to the University of Oregon for college. This is back in the late 50s. And there in college, she was raped and she got pregnant. And people were encouraging her to get an abortion. How embarrassing it would be for an unwed young girl to be pregnant. Go on, continue with your career. Don't be an embarrassment to us and the family. People in church and society would shun her. You know, back then, an unwed pregnant girl was looked down upon. And so people encouraged her to abort that child. But knowing God's command and how much God valued all life, and despite the painful circumstances, Suzanne chose to carry out the birth of that young boy that was within her, not knowing what the future was going to hold, perhaps facing a future where people in church would shun her. Her parents said, hey, we're going to throw you out if you don't abort, and she chose to preserve the life of that child, trusting in God, despite the difficult, difficult future she knew she was the face. But understanding God's care and that God's providence is always at work in our life allows us and gives us the courage to obey, even in difficult situations like this. I don't know what situation you may be facing. Perhaps you may be in a relationship that's not healthy, and God wants you to break off that relationship and wait for the one God has prepared for you. Or perhaps... Maybe you face a promotion at work that would cause you to spend time away from your children who need you now more than ever. And perhaps courageous act of obedience is to say, no, not now, trusting that perhaps God will bring it at a later time because you know your kids need you now. Whatever it may be, understanding that God is always at work in our lives gives us the courage to obey. And that's what we're called to do. God's people are called to courageous obedience to the Lord. And those who experience God's working in their life in powerful ways are the ones who indeed take radical steps of obedience, trusting God, even through the tough times. Now we come to chapter 2. And as they get back to their homeland of Bethlehem, Ruth immediately goes out to glean wheat in the field. Now, according to the Old Testament law, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, the poor, the widows, were allowed to glean wheat behind the harvesters. The harvesters were to collect their wheat, and whatever fell behind them, they're to leave it behind for the poor. However, many landowners at this time were not allowing that to occur. And often, those who would glean were the poor and the helpless, and they were often harassed by the owner and his workers. So Ruth, being a single woman, being a Moabite as well, this poses a potential danger for her. But she courageously goes to glean wheat in the field. Now, there's an important phrase that occurs throughout the book of Ruth that you need to pay attention to. And that's the phrase you see in verse 3. The literal Hebrew reads, it happened 
that it just so happened. Okay, in our modern day vernacular, we might say, as luck would have it. In other words, what seems as mere coincidences, what seems like just small little things, are indeed the divine providential hand of God, working in small, silent, often very unnoticed ways. And so in verse 3, we read, And she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened, she just so happened, to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was at the clan of Elimelech. So there's other fields she could have gone to, but wouldn't you know, she happens to go and glean wheat in the field of Boaz. Boaz, who's actually a cousin of Elimelech, someone who is eligible to redeem Ruth. She just so happens to go glean in his field. And verse 4, And behold, and what did you know it? Boaz, at that time, comes from Bethlehem. And he notices Ruth. And he says to his reapers, Whose young woman is this? And a servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. How about that? Ruth goes out to glean and, hey, just by coincidence, she picks the field of Boaz, who's in the clan of Elimelech. And wouldn't you know it, at that time, Boaz comes walking by. He knows who his workers are and he notices there's someone new over there and asks, who is she? And so he calls Ruth over and he speaks kindly to her and he offers her protection. He says, don't go into other fields. Just stay here. I'll make sure my men treat you well and that we leave extra behind for you. And in fact, you can have water where the workers go to get water. And, hey, at lunchtime, come and have lunch with us. Foreigners are rarely treated so well in Israel. All we can say is, this is a God thing. Ruth, in obedience, sees God's hand of providence working in her life, Boaz, in his obedience to God's law, sees indeed God's providence at work as well. And when Ruth goes home, she's got all this wheat. And Naomi says, man, where were you? Where'd you go? She goes, well, I was in this field. There's a guy named Boaz. Let me uh, work in his field. And she realizes Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. He is one in line who could be eligible to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Now, verse 25 ends with this phrase. So Ruth went home and she lived with her mother-in-law until the end of the barley and wheat harvest and she lived there with her mother-in-law. The phrase means Ruth remained with Naomi and did not see Boaz until after the harvest. So there seems to be an unsettled end in the drama here as the harvest time comes to an end. But the lesson we learn is this. Often what may appear to us simply as coincidence is often the divine hand of God at work in silent and even ways we don't even notice until we turn around and we look back. The lesson is this. God's providence works in accord with the obedience of his people. In part two of the Suzanne Maurer story is this. She chose not to take the life within her and chose to give birth to the boy and raise the boy on her own despite being disowned by her family and 
ostracized by people in the community. Well, it wasn't long after God brought a man into her life. And despite having a child, the man took Suzanne and the boy and raised them as his own. And the young man named Darren grew up, went to Punahou here, got a scholarship to Stanford and on the basketball team, came to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And Darren eventually led Suzanne and her husband and the whole family to Jesus Christ. And Darren went on to graduate school at Dallas Seminary where I met him. And he is now on staff with Campus Crusade, working with businessmen, being a great evangelist, being used by the Lord to touch hundreds of lives all over the world. And while at Punahou, Darren was friends with a young man, and they played basketball together. And both of them never got to play. They always just sat on the bench together. But they became best buds, and Darren would pick him up every weekend, and they'd drive around Oahu looking for pickup games to play, and they spent hours together. And that young man's name was Barry Obama. So they became best buds. And when Barry became president, he called Darren and he said, Hey, get on an airplane. Meet me in Hawaii. Let's go play some hoops. And they would meet together and play hoops for hours. And Darren got to share Jesus Christ with the president of our United States. God blessed Suzanne because of her courageous obedience. And God's providence works in a, accord with the obedience of his people. You want to see God work in your life? Obey him. Trust him in radical ways. In, even in the toughest of times. And you'll see God honoring your obedience and commitment to him. So even in the midst of sorrow, no matter how difficult times may seem, God's providence is always at work in our lives. We must seek it, even in dark times. So this afternoon, take some time to reflect on the providence of God in your life. God probably was moving and working in your life in ways you probably never even noticed till you turned around and looked back. So perhaps now is the time to turn around <laughs> and take a look and see all the times God worked where you probably missed his hand at work. Now, chapter 3 Naomi now recognizes what has happened. God has not abandoned her. In fact, God is at work. And this, all these coincidences coming together, it's not simply by chance. This is indeed the providence of God. And when God's providential hand is recognized, it's time to respond. So Naomi says in verse 1, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Some of your translations read, Should I not, I must secure a home for you. She was seeking a husband for Ruth, a permanent home for Ruth. Recognizing God's providence was at work now, Naomi doesn't simply sit passively. Once she recognizes God's moving hand, Naomi moves into action. So Naomi instructs Ruth to approach Boaz at night on the eve when he is winnowing his barley. And she says, in the night, go there and uncover his feet. What they hope will happen is the cool air will wake him up. And there at night, they can discuss these very sensitive matters. And so 
Ruth being put in a very dangerous position now. You don't know how Boaz is going to respond. He could embarrass her. He could abuse her. He, you don't know. She puts herself in a very vulnerable position. But Ruth, at great risk, chooses to obey and goes. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.